0: Today, we're going to jump right in and see that, to God, everyone is beautiful. And therefore, to be God's people is to treat every person with dignity. I want you to listen to one passage from Scripture that contains a clear and practical expression of God's desire for us to value all people. This is James 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. We live in a world that exerts tremendous influence on us, and unless you're careful, it will push you in the wrong direction. In James' words, it will stain you, especially by forming values in you that are contrary to God's values. When James wrote these words, he lived in a world where virtually no one believed that all people were of equal value. Worth was determined by which family you were born into, or whether you owned land, or who you were connected to, your citizenship, or your gender, and your ethnicity, and your age. This is how his world measured worth. But because of his faith, James knew that this outlook was contrary to God's way of valuing all people. The religion that God wants, sincere and pure faith, is a devotion in practice to the ones that the world values the least, the ones who have been declared worthless, the orphans and the widows. In the first century, these two had no rights, no social privilege at all. When a woman's husband died, it was as if she ceased to be a person. The orphan was an object to be discarded. In ancient Greek and Roman society, it was commonplace to find unwanted children abandoned, left in fields to die. This is how the world assigned value back then. But according to the Bible, this outlook is like a stain upon the mind that accepts it. God wants his people, us, to reject that way of valuing people and embrace his values instead, which declare that every person is precious, especially those who are cast aside. There is unique beauty even in those who have been declared ugly by the world around them. Now, when God's people take this to heart, the outcome is inspiring and can have a tremendously broad impact. I want you to see one person who believed in the beauty of everyone. This is Mildred Faye Jefferson, the only child of Millard and Guthrie, born in East Texas in 1926. When she was little, Mildred used to follow the town doctor around on his horse-drawn buggy. She would ask questions, and he would give her answers. He always seemed to have time for her. One day, I'm going to be a doctor, she told him. If that's what you want to do, then you go right ahead, he would say. Not everyone shared his outlook. The world that Mildred was born into was not a place where a black girl could do whatever she wanted. Slavery had ended, but in the 20s and 30s, Jim Crow laws were in full effect in Texas. Local rules and customs enforced to keep black people in their place. Each law expressing the same basic conviction, to be black was to be less than. Not worth as much as the white kids, not good enough for the white school, restaurant, theater, or water fountain. It was a wicked worldview. In James's language, an outlook that was hopelessly stained. But thank God it wasn't the only world Mildred Jefferson inhabited. Her mother was a teacher, and her father was a preacher at the local Baptist church. And so they taught her to know and trust the Bible. To let God's values determine her vision of humanity, a vision which says the widow and the orphan matter. Everyone matters, especially those who are socially rejected. If the world tells you otherwise, you close your ears. Mildred worked hard in high school and graduated when she was only 15. Three years later, she finished college in Tyler, and then she traveled to Medford, Massachusetts, where she received a master's degree in biology from Tufts. And then finally, in 1951, she would become the first black woman to graduate from Harvard Medical School the first female surgical intern at Boston City Hospital, the first black woman to be elected as a member of the Boston Surgical Society, the first female doctor at Boston University Medical Center, and the first woman certified by the American Board of Surgery. Mildred did not let the world's view of her stain her belief in herself. Instead, she overcame one obstacle after another. But then in 1970, she would face what would become the defining challenge of her career. That year, at its annual meeting, the American Medical Association had enough votes to pass a resolution liberalizing its position on abortion. The freedom to control one's own body is a basic human right, they said. The federal government oversteps its bounds when it seeks to legislate against a woman's liberty to choose what to do with her own pregnancy. After all, banning the procedure would only make it more dangerous. Jefferson knew every argument. And she knew the long history of inequality along gender lines, both in determining and applying the law, especially regarding pregnancy, which affects women in a categorically different way than the men who write the laws. She understood this perspective well, but none of it changed her outlook as a physician, first of all, or as a Christian When she became a doctor, she believed that the oath she took bound her to protect and preserve life. In her view, the AMA's decision amounted to giving a license to destroy life. As a woman of faith, she trusted that all life matters to God, and if the world around you says otherwise, like it said about her when she was a child in Texas, you refuse to let that outlook stain your thinking She couldn't accept that decision with a good conscience. Let's come back to the Bible and hear, with open ears, one place where the value of all life to God is expressed. This is Psalm 139, a psalm which begins with a reflection on the omniscience of God. The truth that every detail of each life is known to him because every life matters to him. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. There is nothing about me that is unworthy of a place in God's mind. Nothing so small that it doesn't matter to him. The thoughts that trouble me when I lie down to sleep. The first thing that crosses my mind when I wake up, every footstep and action and attitude, the words that I'm thinking even before they come out of my mouth, all of it occupies a place in God's mind. The attention God gives to each and every person is beyond comprehension, knowledge that is too wonderful for me. Think of the value that God places on each one of us. Now, someone might think, God doesn't care about me like that. If he were present to me close by, then I might believe, but he must not care. He's so far away. Hold on and listen to the question that comes next. This is verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence If I decided to run away from God, how far would I have to go? What would I have to do to eliminate his concern for me? Watch the answers. Verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. There is nowhere I can go to remove myself from God's care because whether I run to him or away from him, he will always treasure me. Heaven and Sheol are the highest and lowest limits of creation. The wings of the morning means the eastern horizon. The farthest limits of the sea is the western end of the world. No matter which direction I go, God will always be there to guide me with his wise and loving hand, to hold me fast. Even if I try to plunge myself into the darkness, he will be there with a benevolence that brightens up the gloom because I matter that much to him. Why? Why is God so committed to me like this? The answer is that God cares for you because of what he decided about you when he made you. Listen to verse 13. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Here is a thought that is significant almost beyond comparison. I am known by God, and he is with me because I am God's precious creation. He made me on purpose, and that's why I matter to him just as I am, before a single day of mine existed, every one of them was laid out by him, written down like a playwright writes down his script. Before anyone had seen me, he was knitting me together in my mother's womb, hidden to the world, but not to God. The moment I was conceived, his project of wonder and beauty began. Everyone is an object of divine care and concern, just like that. Everyone is irreplaceably beautiful in the eyes of her creator, not because of what she makes of herself, but because of what God makes of her and each one of us when he creates us. There is unique beauty in everyone. Let's come back to Dr. Jefferson. She was a woman who took This outlook on life to heart and the impact was profound. As a child, it encouraged her to believe that she had the ability and the right to follow through with the dream that she had. This perspective kept her from absorbing the world's outlook on her value. And then when she grew up, it continued to fuel her calling. Toward the end of 1970. She decided that it was her civic and moral duty to do everything she could to promote life and resist any medical rationale for destroying it. This vision of the worth of every person, even in the womb, seemed right not only because of her faith, but because of her medical training. Listen to how she put it. I'm opposed to abortion as a doctor and also because I know it's morally wrong. I will use every means available for free people in a free country to see that it is not perpetuated. Her voice was one of the means available to her, so she used it to advocate for those who had no voice, refusing to stand aside and allow what she saw as a faulty view of human life to have its impact. As she put it, to turn this great land of ours into just another exclusive reservation where only the perfect, the privileged, and the planned have a right to live. Everyone has a right to live fully because everyone matters to God, especially the most vulnerable. That conviction fueled Dr. Jefferson's fight for the rest of her life. It's a conviction that we should all take to heart and wrestle with too. And let it change our outlook on ourselves and others as well, however God means it to. I'm going to close this morning with four observations, and these I want to offer to you as your pastor. First, the issue of abortion has become undeniably political in our day, but it's not really a political issue deep down. As thoughtful people of faith, we are responsible for choosing not to turn this one over to the politicians. Instead, we should receive our understanding of what is right based on the vision of humanity that we can grasp from Scripture. Our faith demands that of us. And then... We ought to listen to the best that science has to offer for understanding the beginning of life. When I do that, I end up in the same place as Dr. Jefferson, but if you don't, that doesn't have to mean we're fundamentally divided from one another. We should each face this question from the perspective of faith as best we can, not from the perspective of our political parties. Second, the power in this issue to divide is monstrous. Let's not give in to that. There are wise and faithful people who have different views than Dr. Jefferson's. People who we will one day stand before God with side by side. We shouldn't draw lines here. We should keep the doors open to those who differ and remain humble. Our faith demands that of us. And now, third. This is an issue that can cause enormous pain. I've known folks whose views have changed over the years, and that means looking back on past choices with enormous regret and guilt. If you feel that, bring those feelings to God, and He will take those away. He is merciful, He delights in showing clemency. His kindness and His grace are perfect. You can trust that. And then finally, fourth, anyone who does take time to let this vision have an impact on him will find himself changing from the inside out. First, in relationship to the people all around him in the world, when I believe that every person is beautiful from the start all the way to the finish of their lives, then... I see them differently because God has created them beautifully. My eyes don't look at them like they used to. Then, when a child says to me, When I grow up, I will be a doctor, I say to her, You go ahead and do it. Or when she doesn't believe in her own worth, I say, Nonsense, you are valuable because God made you. And then, when I look at myself and really take this vision to heart, then I find inner strength every day to disregard that voice that tells me you're no good, you're not worth it, you're not valuable. Instead, I can trust that God has made me wonderfully just as I am. Then I'm ready to be beautiful in the world as God made me to be. My challenge to all of us is to take this to heart Everyone has been created by God and is inherently beautiful because of it. Believe and trust that, and then let that vision change you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, which tells us that every person is valuable because each and every one of us has been created on purpose by you. Help us pursue what James calls religion, which is pure and undefiled before you, caring for each and every person, especially those who we are told are not worth as much. Open our eyes and our hearts to receive your value that you have put in every single person so that we become those who care for and defend and stand up for those who are defenseless and pushed aside. Give us imaginations to see creative ways to let this vision shape our way with others in the world around us. We thank you for people who are courageous and bold like Dr. Mildred Faye Jefferson. Inspire us through her work. And then, God, we ask that this vision of value would be taken so deep into our hearts that it would even change the way we look at ourselves. Give us eyes to see the beauty that you've put into each and every one of us and then help us be beautiful in the world by being faithful to you wherever you've placed us and we ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.